0: Yeah, yeah, the houses were mashed up against yeah. each other, but we did have yards. And one of the fun things about our block that my mom learned, um, if, if you look directly behind our house, there was an Italian family that lived there. Our next-door neighbor was Italian. And, um, and my mom was very determined to just fit
1: in somehow. That was entertainment lawyer Michael Axon. I'm Jeff. And this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we feature musicians, lawyers, artists, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 32, part two. This episode picks up where part one left off, with Michael talking about growing up in the Bayview. It turns out one of his neighbors led a rather noteworthy life. Later in the podcast... He'll talk about his brother's band, H.P. Riot, and some old San Francisco music venues. He'll end the podcast with some thoughts on what makes music in San Francisco so special. Here's Michael.
0: They did their laundry, these two Italian families, and they both knew each other very well. They did their laundry on Mondays. So so my mom announced to us, okay, Monday's laundry day. So she would, uh, and it took her a while. She would go out there, and she I, I, that's how she got to know the neighbors. They all did their laundry. These two families, these two women would talk to each other in Italian. They'd kind of scream at each other from, from their back stoops as they're hanging out their laundry. And then my mom just, over time, worked her way into the conversation. And, but it was fun to see her. I mean, in, again, in retrospect, and it probably... In hindsight, it probably took a couple of years, Yeah, you know, because they were speaking in Italian. Right. Um, my guess is that since she spoke Ilocano and Tagalog, huh. there's probably, a, you know, subsets of Spanish. Yes. She was probably able to pick up a couple of words here and mm-hmm. there. But after a while, you know, she was part of the conversation. You'd be there hanging your clothes. Talking about your clothes, probably talking about your husbands, talking about your kids. And your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's it, you know. And then, um, and then we had these little kind of farms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so um, the victory gardens that people have in the yards, they, they had them. All of our neighbors had them. Hmm. So one of the neighbors to our left, so f- looking out in our backyard, neighbor to the left, um, she's an African-American woman. I knew both of her sons.
1: Were uh, they your age or? Yeah. One was
0: one was my age. One was a couple of years younger. Mm-hmm. So we got to know the boys. You know, play outside every now and then. But we just kind of knew each other from over the fence. They, mm-hmm. We all went to the same schools. And um, and I remember one day we were just looking in her backyard and, and you know, you saw You'd, you'd see these jazz grapes in her backyard. Did you already know her relationship? Or Yeah, because it... D- my, again, my mom had a relationship with her. Okay. So we had a relationship with the kids. Um, they would talk about things like their gardens. Yeah. because you know, She had things in her garden. She had greens and beans. Nice. Uh, we, uh, we had a whole bunch of things that she didn't have. She had a bunch of things that you know, we didn't... Mm-hmm. Collard greens weren't in the Filipino diet, right? Right. But I remember looking in our backyard one time and seeing, a, 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 you know, a, a jazz celebrity having to pick his own greens. Mm-hmm. And they're having this conversation, and uh, it, was, it, it, it wasn't heated. It was it was lively. It was a yeah. lively conversation. Right. And uh, he he lost. Had to pick his own food out of the ground, <laughs> right? And then I came to find out, so by this time, I'm, I'm already on my way to um, finding my way into the music business. hmm And how old were you? Gosh, I'm trying to think of when this is all of this. You know, it's, it's one of the interesting things about growing up here. This is all high school leading into college, leading into law school. Mm-hmm. It, it's all over time. That's yeah. the most wonderful thing about being neighbors. And it turned out that she was this patron to jazz artists. And that's that's what you did. So you, you go across the country. You end up playing at the Keystone Corner. When you get to the Keystone, don't worry about dinner. You're going to go and eat at the Taylor's house.
1: She might make you pick your own collard greens. Yeah, she
0: makes me. Make, yeah, makes you pick your own greens. <laughs> Who was that, by the way? Dizzy Gillespie. Okay. Oh, yeah. just just Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, and it, that's a true patron. Right. This, this is just not a groupie. This is not somebody who's doing this for recognition. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you've, you've started in New York, probably. You've come all the way across the country. You've played a thousand places. You're tired of going to another restaurant. Come on, come over to our house, and mm-hmm. we'll cook you some dinner. and Make uh, you feel
1: at home when you're on the road. Exactly. And that you, you're missing home. Exactly. And yeah.
0: And then years later, um, tragically... Um, She was murdered. And um, by this time, I'd been in the music business for quite a long time. And um, she had a funeral service on 3rd Street in San Francisco. Um, There were people from the neighborhood there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But there was such a huge outpouring from the music community. Mm -hmm. And people were... You know, all, everybody who had anything to do with jazz especially, but people were coming in from around the country. Wow. Um, DJs, record promoters, record label executives. You, you, you would have sworn that a, a celebrity had hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. But it was just this wonderful patron of the arts that, that very few people even knew of, right. except for all of these musicians who, you know, Who probably told all those executives and radio promotions people, you know, get me a gig in San Francisco because i got to have some of those greens. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that a very serious part of me wanting to become an entertainment lawyer was part of what San Francisco was about. When people look at the southeast part of San Francisco, when you look at the poor neighborhoods in San Francisco, there's so much pointing to, to crime and Gangs and things like that. When we were we were there in the 60s and 70s, you almost defined your neighborhood by what bands you were in. And um, my brother was in the, one of the premier funk bands. Uh, it was a band called HP Riot, named after the Hunters Point riots of in the, in the mid-60s. And uh, they were... All from the neighborhood. What did your brother play? My brother played trumpet. Okay. Yeah, so they, they had a whole rhythm section, keyboards, two guitars, bass, drummer, um, five-piece horn section, two singers. It was quite, it was, they were the premier, I and mean, of course this is a, a brother talking about his sibling, but they were really just, just a fantastic band. But then there were bands everywhere, and it, 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 it drove up the quality of the music. There, there were bands like Nonstop LTD. They were from the Bayview. The Grand Theft Band. They were another Bayview-Hunters Point band. Violations, I think, they were out there in the Lakeview area out by San Francisco State. Um, there was a band put together a family of Filipino kids, the Ravello family, called the, Ravele, uh, the Revelers. Nice. And uh, then that kind of turned into and morphed into a another just great band called uh, Melting Pot. I think for a long time they were they were known as the Brass Horizon. They were almost like a Tower of Power uh, like band. So there were bands everywhere. They played all kinds of different venues, but you know, sadly, one of the things that I mean, it's almost almost still the case, I believe. Um, if you had a predominantly black band, you could only play certain venues in the city. Right. So there was a place called the Viz out in Divisadero Visidero Street. Um, a handful of clubs. One of the places where my brother's band played regularly was out on Union Street, which is mm-hmm. almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of, you know, all of Union Street, and then there was a, almost like a designated, black club hmm. called um <laughs> gosh, what was it called? Ivan Alexander's on Union Was Street. Union
1: Street then what it is now? Or some version of that? It was just starting was it Rich. hit It yeah. was Rich. Yeah. Oh
0: it was definitely yeah it was, it was upscale. <laughs> hmm I was gonna use the word hoity-toity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Hoody <hoity-toity>. and <laughs> Ivan Ivan Alex you know so you had a whole bunch of clubs and disco was happening. Mm-hmm. So there were all these different clubs. Um toward the Presidio, and then Ivan Alexander's was kind of off by itself, you know, way at the other end of Union Street,
1: but it was Union Street. And I'm guessing not there anymore. No, oh yeah, gosh, no, know. went away a long time ago. Too but, bad, I, I want to go. Yeah. It sounds awesome. Oh, it's
0: just terrific. But the big thing that happened with my brother's band is they, they left town, and uh, they moved up to Canada, so oh, they wow. toured around, they spent a little bit of time down in Los Angeles, then they moved up to Canada and toured Canada for a number of years and became very popular up there. Hmm.
1: And what led them to move to Canada? I'm guessing this is after Vietnam? Or? An opportunity.
0: okay? Yeah, an opportunity up there. Okay. There was a record label. They got When they were doing their stretch down in Los Angeles, they uh, got to know a couple people in the music business, and then this opportunity came up to, to start recording up in Canada. They did two records up there and, uh, and took a pretty good run at it. When you grow up in San Francisco, in the southeast corner of San Francisco, everything is far away. So right. I remember naively telling everybody that my brother was in Canada, like it was a city. I, I talked about Canada like it was a city right. as, as opposed to a whole country. So, I mean, they were, they were traversing. They would be playing clubs in both coasts. and whole bunch of little tiny clubs in between. They were literally in a van going back and forth. Amazing. But I just referred to it the whole time as being... Canada. Yeah, Canada. (laughs) He's in Canada. I I, I think it's impossible to talk about music in San Francisco and uh, just how diverse it is. Mm -hmm. You you can't not... Diversity, music, San Francisco, they're all one thing. Mm -hmm. So... So, I recall growing up and listening to the Big 610 KFRC. Um, It's an honor now. I I represent one of the DJs who used to be on KFRC. KYA, which is a rock station. Uh, Then, of course, then you got into KMPX. So, then you have, you know, which was the the total... yeah, you know, it came PX. That's it's, it's rock radio. Um, but one of the biggest things to me is when Sly Stone was on the air as a DJ. So this is Sly Stone, and um, who who just was the, the epitome of cool. And and you're listening to Sly, and a bunch of us would be sitting around listening to Sly Stone, and just and you're all saying to each other, like, "This is the coolest guy in the world. I wish I was." As cool as Slide. He'd put on a, you know, a back-to-back. He'd put on two different songs, and you, you'd just kind of... You'd, well, like, Sly's probably getting high now, you know? <laughs> he's, he's just so cool. I wish I was that cool, right?
1: Yeah. Um, and that's before his music career took off. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you, you got to know him doing that, and then he's, you know, he's sneaking on, on a soul station. Mm-hmm. So he's on a soul station, and he'll, he'll sneak an occasional rock song on mm-hmm. there. So now you're kind of going, oh, I'm not afraid to go to school because I went to predominantly black schools. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're not afraid to go to school and talk about rock music because you can kind of say, hey, you know, Sly played a rock song last night, and so you're not going to beat me up, right? You can't beat me up because Sly played a rock song.
1: Um, You're like, I got my education on the radio.
0: Yeah. The schools that we went to are just... on one hand, yeah. I look at them and think of how. Um, they, fire um, fire. I mean, it's they, they, you, people use the word bully now, and yeah, I, I suppose. And you, but these were real major bullies. Yeah. These are these are, you're talking about families that are, whole families that are drug dealers. You're going to school with these kids, right? And so there were a lot of unwritten rules that you just knew, or you didn't know. You kind of had to pick it up. Nobody ever told you, you know. Don't you know? Don't don't look at Jeff wrong because his whole family is going to come down and hurt you. You know, just don't snitch. <laughs> What's that?
1: don't snitch. That's yeah. universal.
0: You just yeah, you just yeah. learn. Yeah. You just picked it up. Mm-hmm. But um, so you can go to school with these kids, but you learned there's a certain amount of. I mean, it was a squares kid in the United States of America, <laughs> but, but there's a certain amount of street sense that you pick up mm-hmm. but when Sly said he was going to start a band, then it was all over. It' was just, mm-hmm. okay the, come on, Sly starting a band and when you look at all of the when you look at all of the influences that Sly Stone had on all kinds of music, you realize that that was a function of. The whole San Francisco scene. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it sounded like psychedelic music. He had a diverse band. I mean, just you, it's like, it's a, Today you'd get a casting agent to put a band like that together, but you wouldn't. Exactly. You didn't back in the 60s in San Francisco mm-hmm. because that's who you just hung out with. Mm-hmm. You hung out with people of every color. Mm-hmm. That's just what it was. So the more and more I got into music and the business side of music, it just was a natural thing for everything to be. Diverse like that, and and when you look at the the different acts that came from that, you see acts like Tony 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 out of out of Oakland, and a couple of those guys toured with Sheila E., who mm-hmm. she who toured with Prince, mm-hmm. and, and 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 a number of people from the San Francisco Bay Area were involved with Prince. Oh yeah, um, we were just talking a little while ago off mic about uh, Narda Michael Walden up in Marin County, and so now you get somebody like Narda Michael Walden who. At 19 joined the Ma Vishnu Orchestra mm-hmm. and was produced by the same guy who produced this, you know, the Beatles. George yeah. Martin produced the Ma Vishnu Orchestra. Yeah. He even wrote about Narda in his book. Right. You know, I, it, it's, it's diverse. It's, it's music that's unlike any other music in the entire country. And that's what makes making music so great here. So the business aspects of it are they, they follow. If, if, if you have big ears and you like all that, then you get to know everybody. So e- even the business infrastructure, all the lawyers liked all kinds of music. The, you know, um, I mentioned friends of mine from law school who were involved in the punk scene. Mm-hmm. But they knew a whole bunch of hip-hop artists or the emerging hip-hop scene and mm-hmm. who also knew a whole bunch of R&B players, who knew a bunch of jazz players.
1: Punk and hip-hop origins are oh. overlapping.
0: Yeah, they're totally overlapping. Yeah. As, as is, you know, the, the Latin jazz community. Mm-hmm. So you have Latin music and Latin rock. and you mm-hmm. this, why, why do acts from the Bay Area work so well across the country? Because it's so diverse. You, when, when a band like um, Huey Lewis and the News, who has elements of soul, funk, rock and roll, blues, when they play across the country, they're bringing all of those elements to other parts of the country, and people don't know what they—they you know, they, they really don't know what they're listening to. But what they are listening to is this whole mix of what the Bay Area sounds like. The, the Bay Area sounds like—and why do you think that is?
1: Do you do you have ideas of or why it all sounds? Why why there is why there are s- there is such a mix of styles and backgrounds.
0: Just look at this bar. Yeah. Look at this bar where we're, you know you have people of all kinds of colors, ethnic backgrounds, um, social strata. Mm-hmm. It's all over the map. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an acceptance. I mean, but I, I mean, even even when when the when the gay disco thing blew up here in the Bay Area. Even that, there's such an acceptance here in the Bay Area that's unlike any other part of the country. It's a little island. San Francisco is, yeah. It's, it's it's a tiny little island. When one of one of the group of friends that I had in junior high school, and we all kind of did whatever secret secret shake we did in junior high school, and said we were all going to get in the music business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the first one of us to do it. Was my friend kelvin who's still playing here in the bay area as a as a blues artist awesome and his first opportunity was sylvester's first album nice so here's a guy playing uh some dive bar where was it It was called the crow's nest or something mm-hmm. he's playing a dive bar in alameda mm-hmm. and then the following week he did sylvester's opera house live album and then he went on tour and I, re- I so remember him coming back from that tour. And I said, you're worldly now. You know, you, you, you've gotten all the way to the party. Right. I was still, um, I was still in college. Mm-hmm. A- already on my way to, to this goal of becoming an entertainment lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting with him and saying, you know, now that you're worldly, now that you're on an album and you're out on tour, give me something to listen to. And he took that San Francisco thing, right? This eclectic, here's what everybody sounds like, then he, then he came back and he gave me three albums to listen to, and I remember them to this day. One was Standing on the Verge of Getting It On by Funkadelic, the other was Mysterious Traveler um, by Weather Report, and the third one, which was the most life-altering out of the three was Open Our Eyes, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, and what, what's the key to all of those groups? Those three bands—they're all these diverse groups—and and, and that only fueled it. Like it totally, it completely fueled everything I wanted to do professionally after that. My my single goal—it was almost a single goal—was was to somehow get involved with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. And uh, way longer story we don't have to get into now, but it's but but. I mean just literally just a week and a half ago, um I was talking to um a friend who happened to be in Las Vegas because Earth Wind and Fire is in Las Vegas and he's not playing drums for them. It's a guy named John Paris who uh has been playing for Earth Wind and Fire I think for fifteen years or so. Okay from the Bay Area, from Oakland, and again, it's, that's what he brings to that party. Mm-hmm. They, he knows exactly what they need to sound like because there's something shared with all these groups like that, it's beautiful. But that is it, it's go, go anywhere in the city, or at least the city as I know it, that there's such a diversity, it's a diversity of music and a diversity of culture that shows up in the art just can't help but show up in the art.
1: We recorded this episode at The Ramp in May 2018. Music for the podcast is by Joe Begale. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Michelle's got another photo show, and the opening will be tonight at 6 at the Aspect Framing Gallery. It's part of this month's Tenderloin Art Walk. Please follow Storied San Francisco on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All the episodes and Michelle's photos of storytellers are up on our website, storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. You can reach us by email at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Check back next week when we'll hear stories from magazine publisher and food writer Stephen Satterfield.